0: had a great experience um, out in the hallway between the last two services. Uh, A man came up to me named Mr. Gray, and he asked my son, is your grandfather's name David, are you named after his grandfather David? And he said yes. And I went to school with his son back in second and third grade, so that was pretty exciting to see him. And it would probably have been more exciting to actually see the son, but uh, what a great joy to be here with Believer's. And we continue to cross over time because one day we will all hang out together in heaven. So that was very exciting for me. If you happen to have your Bible, I'd invite you to find Zechariah chapter 7 beginning in verse 8. Zechariah chapter 7 beginning in verse 8. It is my honor to be with this strategically located church surrounded by soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines, Coast Guard members, and their families. On this weekend that we celebrate a document signed by a bunch of men that we no longer can remember their names that said first to King George, later to Europe and the rest of the world, we are free. We are free to form our own government. We are free to choose who we will have alliances with and our people will be free to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. This beautiful, radical idea that transformed the world was later codified in the U.S. Constitution that that explained who could serve in government, what would our government look like, but more importantly, what freedoms you and I would have as individual people. That we had the freedom of speech. We are right now practicing our freedom of religion freedom of assembly, and the freedom of the press, and the list goes on and on. And these, this radical idea of individual freedoms was bought with a price, generation after generation, where men and women, from every race, color, and creed, geographic location, and economic situation, joined their sacred honor to defend these freedoms. Some of these who defended these freedoms, we celebrate and study in high school. George Washington and Molly Pitcher. Lee and Grant. Nimitz and Eisenhower. But it was not just those who we celebrate, who are the strategic leaders of the past. It is also those who only their family and friends know their name today. Men like George Saunders, who after retiring from the Navy, stayed right here in Norfolk and taught a bunch of boys and RAs what it means to be a believer and what it means to be a man. And he influenced my life more than anyone but my mother and father. Roy Buenavides, who in Vietnam was sitting at a listening post and heard a helicopter went down, and he ran through the jungle single-handedly and saved the rescue crew as well as the, the men that were on the helicopter. And during that day, he was shot and stabbed 21 times. Later, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor and died just a few years ago in Fayetteville, North Carolina. It's men like Matt Warrell and Jamie Weeks, who on Mother's Day in 2006, when a ground force was completely surrounded and overpowered, they took their team and they began to provide close air support. And over the course of the next 12 hours, they were shot, wounded, and died as they defended the men on the ground. And today, Matt is buried just a few hundred meters away from my grandfather in a national cemetery in Texas. And it doesn't matter if you are the celebrated that served our nation or you are the ones that no one knows but your family and friends. Each gave something. They gave of their time. They gave of their energy. They gave of their memories. And they gave not for financial success, not for celebration, but they gave because they love freedom. And they long for those who are oppressed to be free. And today, your church has a vision. It is a vision that you will reach out to this group of people that are from every state in the United States, from every territory of the United States, who have fought and served for the last 13 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Philippines and other places around the world, so that your children and my children can go outside without the fear of stepping on a landmine or having our daughters captured and kidnapped by a warlord and sold into slavery. So today, as we think about these people, I want to I talk about who are these service members. What are their struggles? And what do you as a church need to prepare if you are going to reach out and touch their life, carry their burdens and show them the love of Jesus Christ? Statistics tell us that, well, let me back up. Obviously, I'm not as good as Eric, because he does this every week, and I do it once in a while, and I do, when I'm overseas, sometimes preach 10, 11 services a week, but they're not all in one day, so I'm very impressed with, uh, with you, and um, I am going to need a dinner and a Dr. Pepper after this service. Um These one of the myths and misconceptions about these service members, they are poor. They're uneducated. They come from the inner cities. They can't get a job anywhere else, and it's it's the dregs of society who are defending the middle and the upper class people. But statistics show us that's not true. 98% of all service members have a high school diploma compared to 76% of regular society. Virtually 100% of all the commission officers have college degrees. And often it's said those get their degrees at the the low-end colleges. But anyone who has studied and really researched, there's the 100 top academic national universities and the top 25 liberal arts schools. And I've always been told if my kids can go to these top 125 schools will make it in the world. Well, some of those universities are those such as the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York, the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, the Air Force Academy in, in Colorado Springs, Texas A&M, and of those four, that is the top-producing uh, schools for officers across the nation. And I reminded the last service, and I'll remind you because this is important, that TCU, the greatest university in America, is also in the top 100, and they do produce officers as well. Actually, at one time, they produced more nurses for the Army than any other school. They also do not come from the inner city. Some do, but the vast majority come from the South and the Mountain West, from suburbia and rural America. They come from families that make between 45 and 250,000 dollars a year. These are not the dregs of our society. These are the kids that work hardest in school. They're in the band and on sports teams. They're in drama. And they join the military, not because they can't get a job, because they want to put their input, their imprint, on our society and make a difference a lifetime difference, and continue to ensure that our individual freedom will continue from generation to generation. But you know, sometimes statistics are kind of cold. And they really don't tell the true story. I have a, an old friend. When I first met him, he was sarcastic and a little disrespectful. He was an agnostic. And he was maybe the best medic I'd ever met. And one day, returning home from one of his trips to Iraq and Afghanistan, he watched his wife and four boys drive to Walmart. And as he watched them drive down the driveway, he went to his closet and loaded his forty five and sat on the end of his bed and pulled the pistol to his head. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw his reflection. He looked at himself in the mirror and said, how can anyone carry the burden of life and death that I carry? And at that moment, as he turned away, to turn away from the mirror, he remembered two men that he served with, on the X and the Y, who had been in the hospital, who had seen life and death, but they seemed to be able to handle and they handle it because of their faith. And he put down the pistol and got down on his knees, and he said, if there is a God, Take my burden in the next 30 days or I will kill myself. Well, my friend is now a senior special operations medic. He's still very sarcastic. He's still very disrespectful. It's hard to get him in a uniform ever. But today his burdens were lifted because he believed in Jesus Christ. His wife and his three oldest boys have believed. It has transformed his marriage and transformed his life. In 2005, I was leaving the unit that I served much of my career with, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. And I knocked on the door as my very last job. When the door opened, a young lady greeted us. And she knew that we were coming to tell her that her husband had died in Iraq, or in Afghanistan. If you watch the recent movie, Lone Survivor, you can, you can see what Hollywood says that he did. And as we talked, and, and this faithful woman, her little eight or nine-year-old daughter asked me a question. It is the greatest theological question that I have ever heard. A seminary professor could never come up with this. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Do I still pray for Daddy now that he's dead? The mother started crying. The colonel started crying. Their pastor who had come in had started crying. And I honestly today cannot tell you what I said to that little girl. And then my wife reminded me, she was at the last service, and she reminded me of a story so I can put a face to a situation. My son went to two two kindergartens as a kid. And at the second kindergarten... They were out playing like kids play, and my son loves playing sports. He plays uh, soccer, and we play all over the place, and just to brag on my son a little bit, we won the Greensboro Soccer Tournament in North Carolina recently, which is supposed to be a big one, and um, they went into the classroom, and David wasn't there. What David, my son, didn't know is the teacher would clap her hands, and all the kids would come running. My son didn't know it because he was new, and he was left out in the playground. Now, for me, I would have loved that, but my son cares more about reading and writing. Obviously, he he's, has his mother's genes and not mine. And, um, and he cried like a lot of kindergartners. But these are just a few of the struggles in the pictures that our service members struggle with on a day-to-day basis. And as we think about how can First Baptist Norfolk reach this segment of society, I think uh, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8, can really give us a vision in how to do it. Zechariah 7, beginning in verse 8, says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts says, Dispense true justice, Practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. And do not devise evil in your heart against one another. This theme of true justice runs through the Bible. It's found in the Torah. It's celebrated in the Psalms. The prophets and Jesus speak about it in their teaching. The Apostle Paul re-emphasizes it. And James, in James chapter 1 verse 27 says it this way, true religion is that you visit the widows and the orphans and keep your body undefiled. So whether we call it true justice or true faith, and I think we can even, or, or true religion, I think we can even call it true faith, is anywhere this is happening in the Bible, it's action oriented. It's the congregation leaving the place of worship and changing the world. So how do you do that here at First Baptist Church? How do you show an action-oriented true justice, true faith, true religion? Well, this second sentence here really lays it out for us. That we are to practice compassion and kindness one to another. This is love in the Scripture. And I think the first thing we do is we have to understand what true love is. And the greatest example of love I've ever seen is of a soldier. We can call him a sailor if you want, if you're in the Navy, but we'll we'll call him a soldier. And, And it was at the end of a battle. And they were completely surrounded. And this was the final push to win the battle. And this man was hungry, tired, beaten, dehydrated. And they began to make the long walk up the hill for the final fight. He was so worn out that his teammates had to take his equipment and carry it up the hill. And when he got to the top of the hill, he was completely surrounded by the enemy. And the enemy took his equipment and nailed his hands upon it. And they lifted Jesus just above the rest of the crowds where He still could feel the heat of the Middle East. He could smell death that surrounded Him. He could hear the insults of those who were out to destroy Him. And at this moment when Jesus showed true love, as the psalmist said, as the, as the, uh, The uh, hymn says he could have called down a thousand angels, but he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. And then he didn't just finish with that statement. He showed true love by finishing his mission and dying for you and I. So that we could have sin, the one thing that connects you and me and the rest of the world together, taken away from us if we believe and confess in Jesus' name. But it didn't end there, did it? Jesus jumped out of, the, of his, his place that He was lying. He kicked down the stone. He scared the soldiers that defended His grave, and He continued to preach that simple message. Love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing we're going to do, if we as a congregation of believers are going to reach out to the soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, Coast Guard members and their families, is we are going to know and understand that great act of love. We're not only going to study it, we're going to believe in it. We're going to allow it to take over our hearts and our minds. As we do that, we will begin to study the Scripture. We study the Scripture because it shows us who God is and who we are. Now, since I don't preach here every sunday. I can really say whatever I want up here. And I think I'm about the same height as Eric, and even though my knee hurts, I think I can still outrun him. I don't know. I could trip him if it really if I really had problems. But I always tell folks, I don't care what translation you're reading. Choose one and open it and begin to read the words of God. And when you read the words of God, do it systematically. If you're going to read a book of the Bible, start at the very beginning of of Matthew and finish Matthew. If you're going to study a topic, start in Genesis and go all the way through Revelation. And while you're reading it, and you're learning about who God is, write down the notes that, that kind of confuse you. Some of us, like me, had to go to public school, and I went to public school in a state that could care less if you read or write. They just want you to kick a ball, hit a ball, throw a ball. And by the way, I went to college because I could kick a ball. But as you read it and you have questions, then you find others that that know a little more and talk about it. And get to know who God is because only through the power of God will our hearts be humbled to care for those outside our families. Once we have studied the Word of God, we begin to pray. We begin to pray so we know who we are and what gifts God has given us. We often think that the gifts God has given us is not as good as the the guy next to us. I have a, a young daughter that's going to high school and she thinks every girl is prettier than her, that everybody's hair is better looking than hers. And when I talk to her friends, they all say the same thing. God has given everyone in this room a gift. A gift that the kingdom of God needs to transform this world. And unless we use it, we're just dead weight on the kingdom of God's team. You know, when I was a young soldier, I haven't always been a chaplain. I, I want, many years ago, I was in the artillery. And uh, that's, for y'all who don't know, that's the guys that have the big cannons, and they're the guys that are close to the front. And I always thought the guys towards the rear were kind of wimps. But I'll tell you what, when, we fi- when Baghdad finally fell, And other than eating some goat with some Bedouins during the course of 70 days of getting to Baghdad, when I saw those cooks cooking that hot meal, they were the greatest soldiers in all the army. Because I was hungry, I was dirty, and I really wanted a hot meal. Later, the quartermaster folks came in and put up showers and I could stop showering by pouring a bottle of water over my head. Then they were the most important person in the military. And by the way, they were Marines that did that. We all play a part in the military, and that's why we're so effective on the battlefield. But we all play a part in the kingdom of God. And if we are going to be effective in carrying for this 1% of society that your church wants to reach out to, we have to know what our gifts are. And once we discover what our gifts are, then we need to find someone in this church that will use them. Maybe you have the ability to be hospitable. What a great gift. Maybe you have the ability to speak. Maybe God has given you the ability to organize. Whatever your gift is, begin to use it with this ministerial staff in this church. So you will not only have a 200-year history here, but you will have a 300 and a 400 as Christ continues to glow here in Norfolk, Virginia. So after we do that, then you do what Baptists do best. We organize. We form a committee. We come up with a plan. We provide resources. And then we start reaching out. Well, the last part maybe is the hardest. The last part is you have to be patient. It tells us in Ephesians that Christians are humble, gentle, and patient. All right, obviously that was a better joke than I thought it was. (laughs) But when we're reaching out to people... You have to be patient with people, don't you? Because sometimes people don't look like we look. They don't smell like we smell. They don't speak the same kind of words that we speak. And sometimes it takes time to build relationships. And only over time can we build relationships. And through those relationships built over time, do you build the respect to be able to help them spiritually grow to be able to lay their burdens at the feet of Jesus and to transform their life not only for two years or three years, but for all of eternity. This morning, on this weekend, that we celebrate our freedom from tyranny and on this day that we, every Sunday, remember our freedom from sin. My hope is that each of you in this time of dedication will consider what the Lord is calling you to do today. If you have never accepted the beautiful gift of love shown by Christ upon the cross, I pray that you'll do it today. And if you're not ready to do it today, find someone in this congregation who can help you understand it. And if you're already a believer, I pray that today and for this next week that you will have a single prayer that God will open your heart and your mind to the people around you. And once you see the people around you, that God will show you how to make a difference in their life.